I really don't know if there's something I enjoy in sports more than Canada beating the United States. And especially at hockey. It's just, it's so good. I, I loved every second of winning last night, and I was in complete terror when Canada was trailing. It's just, there's, there's something different. It's a little extra kick. It's a little extra spice. I really was missing international hockey last night. It just, as much fun as I was having, as much fun as I was having, all I could think was, thank God for our women's program and how good they've been recently. And how they just, they haven't, they haven't been letting the Americans off the mat. We've been living this charmed life because of the Canadian women's program when it comes to facing the United States and winning in big games. And way to go to a tough Canadian junior team. I think uh, this is kind of an interesting one. These guys are... I, I don't want to say they're 05, because that's crazy. 05 is just... You know, you look back at that, and it was Bergeron, and Carter, Richards, Perry. Who else was on that? Phaneuf was on that team. Shea Weber, obviously Crosby was on that team. I'm probably missing a bunch of other guys. But it's not it's it's not that it's quite not quite that yet. And plus, they got to win. There's there's still ways to go. It's definitely the most fun I've had watching the tournament, though, in a, in a very 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 long time. Like 2015 was pretty fun because we got McDavid. But uh, to me, this is this team is a throwback to the. To the non-2010s. I, I don't know how we do this. To the 2000s. Yeah, to the years of the 2000s. The 2000s years, as in 2000 to 2010. That stretch, World Juniors were hot, 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 hot in the streets. And, and I kind of, I have this vibe with this team. And this tournament has had, I'll be honest, for me personally anyways, and I think for a lot of people, it's lost a lot of the, it's lost a, a little bit of luster. It's lost a little bit of shine. I've been critical of the idea that we're really helping countries develop by having Canada beat Austria 10 nothing. You know, I, I have my doubts as to how much better Austria is getting. I've been watching this tournament a long time. I have Latvian roots. Latvia doesn't seem to be getting any better after all the beatings they take from Canada year over year and all these other teams. I keep waiting for it. I, I keep seeing the same formula, basically. Uh, they get their asses kicked. They have one fun game in the preliminary rounds or in the round robin to a decent team. And then they play relegation where that's their Stanley Cup. Great. That's... Developing nations, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I just I love this junior team. There's I, to me, it's obviously Bedard is driving. You have to have a special player. But like I mentioned, the 05 team had Sid. So there's that added reason to tune in. A lot of times, this tournament is a, a dependent too on you as a hockey fan, right? What team you root for uh, in the NHL. Like, if you were a Sens fan, the Shabbat year was of added interest. He was just an animal. That was a really fun one, too, actually. I Like, minus the finish, because they lost in a shootout to the States. But that was a really fun individual performance, was watching Shabbat basically play the entire night and put Team Can on his back. But this team, like, who... Like, Joshua Roy, like, that, that was a coming out party yesterday for that kid. 
Like it, it really was. That was a who is a who has the right name? He's pretty good. Uh, he's fun. Dylan Gunther has been really fun. We've had Shane Wright conversations. Obviously, Connor Bedard has completely driven this tournament. Fantilli showed up last night in a just a massive way. And so, yeah, I'm going to get to the goaltender interference stuff, but I, I just want to say that that's that's so much of what this tournament has been about in the past, during its heyday glory years, for me anyways, is you really got to know a next crop of Canadian guys that you were, either, you, you were probably going to overvalue for a very long time as an NHL player that you were going to at least know that you got familiar with prospects because we're not all Sam Cosentino where we're sitting there watching, you know, the WHL every single, like, I'll be honest, most of these guys on this team, that's where they play. Like it's a lot of guys play for Kamloops and Seattle and yeah, Everett. (laughs) I'm not watching. Actually, a lot of the team is from Seattle and WHL, but yeah, I'm not watching these games. I'm not getting to see these guys there. So this is the time you get the, the peak, the real peak at a lot of these players. And I'm sorry to those of you that are prospect hardos, but I, I have trouble I have trouble making time uh, for a lot of this stuff. And this is it. This is perfect. And this team is just fun, and they've got an energy to them. And I was nervous at the beginning of that U.S. game because they looked just completely frazzled. They looked completely out of place. They... They had no energy. I think the state started seven nothing with shots before Canada got one. Maybe, maybe even a little bit more than that. They took the crowd completely out of it, which was scary because that barn has been amazing for Canada for this entire tournament. And then Canada just kind of crawls their way back, and they show that resilience. And then that crowd got loud. That crowd got loud, and it got intense in there. And and I think. Hey, kudos to the American players. I don't think that they wilted or anything, but I I do think that that crowd had an impact on the game in in a pretty significant way. They got some major saves from Milich. Again, another Seattle WHL guy. Again, basically the whole team. Seattle stacked. If you want to just you know, if you want to watch the World Junior Tournament later on this season uh, in junior hockey, you can just flip on a Seattle game. The dub. But it was a really, really fun game, and it felt really intense, and there felt like real stakes. And it was a little bit more than even the the average Canada-USA junior game. It was a lot more than when we were watching that weird Winter Classic one, the year they had it in Buffalo, and you went, oh, all right, let's tip the cap, and they win, they lose. Didn't feel like that. This one felt like there was real stakes because you were going to potentially lose a team that was special, and also it meant you were going to not see Connor Bedard anymore. And, and I'm sorry, but I can't shake this feeling just to tie it back into international hockey. Why this is so fun is we get to once again watch Canada do its thing. This is our sport. And I, I like, I love, I, I, I'm a huge sports fan. I go always, whenever people ask me the question, right? Hey, what's your favorite sport? I, I genuinely don't have an answer. I mean it. I, I really truly mean it. I do not have a favorite sport. I have favorite sporting moments. I have favorite sporting events. But... Like, they change. It changes. But there's something special about Canada hockey. It's, it's been a constant in my entire life. You were born and you were, you were just born into caring about it. And the fact that the NHL has not had its players go to a meaningful tournament in almost a decade just continues to be such a black eye for the sport. They got to figure this out. We got to see best on best. Because last night's feeling 
as fun as it was, you, you do get to push it aside. And if they lose, you get to say, hey, they're, they, you get to do the joke. Hey, they're just kids. They're just kids. But either way, I just, I'm craving international hockey again. I'm, I'm desperate for it. The sport absolutely needs it. It's critical that it returns. They, they, the NHL needs to stop with this whole, it's, it's not important or we'll figure it out next year thing. Other sports are playing internationally despite the Russia situation. It's, it's, the NHL seems to be the only one that's like, we can't figure this out. Anyway, it was awesome. I loved that team. And that was kind of why I was a little sour about the goaltender interference stuff. Okay, the first one, just quickly before I get to Vita. The first one, I, I don't know how you could be a hockey fan and say you thought that was going to be goaltender interference. Like, I'm, I'm a goalie apologist as much as they come. And I, I texted a friend. I didn't really love it because he's in the crease and he bumps him with his ass. And he, gets, he can't really get across the crease properly. But the puck's on his stick and he's turning. And I don't really think it impacted the play. Either way, they call it. And we get told, hey, the IHF rules are completely different than the NHL. They're far more strict. The second one is like, I, you'd have to genuinely, even if you were watching hockey for the first time, I don't know how you don't realize that's goaltender interference. Like, that's the most obvious. That's the, this has been a hard thing. It, it's the goaltender interference has become the NFL's, is it a catch? Was it a catch from a few years ago? Uh, this that was the easiest thing ever. I saw that. I, I didn't even react to the goal. I went out there and it's, it's coming back. The only slight fear I had with that one was because they that my brain works this way. The leveling out effect where I go, huh? Maybe they're maybe they're going to look at this a little differently. They go, can we call two of these? Is this bad? No, but they didn't. They did the right thing. They called it anyway. I I saw all the American media members. I get it because I'd be sour if I was a Canadian guy too. I thought it was pretty poor sport. I thought it was a lot of poor sportsmanship. I tweeted about it. It's getting pretty hot. I do think that's an American hockey tradition. Lose to Canada, bitch about it, make excuses, be a poor sport, move on. Uh, Mike Fuda, one of the absolute best, two-time Stanley Cup champion, a man who I know absolutely was watching that game last night. Uh, Fuda, how we doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, JD, I am so glad. That I was. I've never actually watched a, a Canadian game and thought, Geez, I hope Canada wins because JD's going to be. If I get him after another Canada loss, I got you during the. I think I did the soccer time, or was it the soccer time last time when you? <laughs> yeah, you did. I forgot. Yeah, right after we <laughs> lost in the World Cup, you were actually consoling yeah. me via text message, trying to pump me up. I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was fun to watch, but I mean, it's, it's, it's. There's something about me. I'm same way. Obviously, I'm involved in the you know the hockey Canada, and I mean I've been a part of those teams from a other. I mean I coached, I coached the Carter Richards under 17 team, and I mean I just opened the gate. It's like it's amazing the pride that goes into wearing a Canadian jersey. But I don't know. There's something about the game, the feel last night. There, like part of what I love about Canadian hockey is what differentiates us from others, and it was always that extra intangible on the grit factor, right? That we brought it. Like, we could physically, we can go skill with you, but we're going to bring another dimension to it. And it's just, you just have to adjust because that's the way hockey's changed. It doesn't diffuse the fact that it was a great win and the building was packed and it was rocking, but I just, I it, to me, it was a, it reminded me, and junior hockey is all about mistakes and energy, right? And you capitalize the most because these guys, I don't care if you can say you're coaching, but they're, they're, Vim and vinegar with fifteen thousand people screaming. They're all over the place, and it's a game of energy and celebrations. And, and teams not feeling good, but I, I just feel at two nothing, 
there was one shift, I guess it was Fantelli and Beck just decided to run a couple guys over. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that tilted. All of a sudden, it appeared that Canada was playing to the identity of what I like to think a Canadian hockey team is. And, and it turned around. And they, they had a couple big shifts. Obviously, Bedard goes hard to the net. He proves that, uh, you know, he doesn't just have to score magical goals. He can score goals, basically, you know, head down, goal in that stuff, post, stick in the ice, and bury it. Like, he's must-see TV. But I found myself at points in the tournament wanting to watch the game to watch Bedard more than I cared about watching Team Canada, which kind of caught me off guard. And I guess that tells you what kind of great player he is. Mm-hmm. But as far as the game itself... I did. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was being a Canadian fan and cheering all the way. I was really disappointed because I felt it gives the United States something to harp on. I thought that was a good goal. It's exactly the way. I don't care what the IHF rules. I would side with Jeff O'Neill on this. And I know Bob McKenzie knows more about the international game and the rules than I'd ever forget. But I, then that rule sucks if that's not yeah, a that's good goal. Bad. That's a bad rule. Yeah, that was bad. Okay, and, and I agree with you 100%. And I was worried because that was the, the push in the pad in. Unless there's an international rule, that's just a no, no-brainer that that one's going to get waved off. But, I mean, even the refs, they look like – I thought the guy – I mean, probably hate myself. The guy looked like Don Knotts going to announce it. It was like he was terrified. Yeah. I'm going to announce <laughs> another – I'm going to announce another disallowed goal here. And uh, and I thought – I, I knew it was going to another – you know, where, so they weren't going to get it wrong in the second one. But I also think that the refs on the ice, there was a blatant – too many men on the ice penalty yeah. later in the game that I think they said we, we can't call this right now. Like we can't we can't call this one right now because the states are gonna you know they're gonna leave the bench. So anyways, big win, uh, skill versus skill for me. Uh, I don't. This is not what the world's about right now with hockey. I mean, you look. I was looking at the thing uh, in between periods last night. I looked at the top eighteen scores in the National Hockey League. There's two Canadians. Mm-hmm. So. If we're going to get in, and obviously McDay, and then there's some great players on the cusp too, so it's one of stat that you can go either way, but that's that's a fairly large number of international skill guys that are in the top of the elite, elite of the league. So if you just want to go skill versus skill, there's a lot of skilled players around the world from different countries other than Canada, and I I like to go back to the days of the Tuckers and the Clarks and the Lindrosses. And as much as Millich was awesome last night, and he was, uh, we we make a big deal about uh, Canada not producing elite goaltenders anymore. Uh, I'm not so sure we don't produce elite <laughs> power forwards anymore like we used to as well. So I love uh, this. That, that being said, it was fun to watch. The right team won, in my opinion, because I'm true to my colors. But uh, it wasn't one of those things that I left the game thinking, "Oh my God, these guys are better than the '05 team in uh, Salt Lake City." Like no. 05 is the no. standard bear. 05 is definitely a standard bear. I think that was, was a little different last night, Mike, is I, I checked into a little bit of the same mindset you did where this tournament has been about watching Connor Bedard for me. Like, that, that, that's definitely what it has been. It's, oh, my God, this kid's so special. He's going to put this team on his back. That's why I actually even thought about it. The closest recent comparison I could have was the Shabbat year where Shabbat just went completely crazy for Canada. He played half the games, and he was just like Canada's only guy. And you were watching the tournament for Shabbat, essentially, not the rest of the team. This one, like last night's game, I thought was a breakout for a couple of different guys where they started to emerge, and you started to feel like, oh, wow, this is a little bit more Canada hockey. And you're right. They did turn the tide with a little bit of physical play, but... 
Yeah, the, the game one, Mike, that was the fear. When they lost the first game to Chechia and there were rumors that they were trying to score Michigan goals, um, I, I thought it's gone. You know, Canada hockey and its identity is done. And so maybe part of the enjoyment that I'm having here is that, yeah, there, there were just goals that they scored in front of the net. They played more physical. There were moments where they were really starting to get chippy with the American players. And, yeah, I, I think I do miss that just as much as you do. Oh, and that's what that's part of the like in fairness, geez, they could have lost Slovakia. Like, and this is not put this team down because they've come through the adversity and good on them. But usually, the Canadian teams, when you play a team like Slovakia and Slovakia keeps the game close, it's like the ice is simply tilted, and your fear is that there's going to be a, a puck's going to bobble in Slovakia. Yeah. Slovakia's yeah, like, going to get that one bad goal to break our heart. Well, we were holding on for dear life, and Slovakia was bringing it to us, and the goalie stood in his head. So, again, good on Canada for winning, but the days of just making countries look bad because, you know, we're, we put on our jersey, I, I don't think, I think those are over. And I said, I felt great last night because the same thing, watching this tournament, I've been like, I was starting to Google guys like, hey, oh, that's Troy. Wow, he's awesome, yeah. really good. Like, I, yeah. I just didn't see any of this coming from anybody consistently, but Bedard. And I even got thinking, I was thinking about Daryl Sutter's um, line about, how hard it is to be a captain on the Canadian NHL team. And then I thought, you know, it's got to be hard being a captain on a Canadian World Junior team. Because for me, right, it may made the great play, the one good play last night. But to me, he's been more caught up with being the captain than being a real good player. And I almost think on the Canadian, when you're on Canadian soil, unless you got a Crosby or a, or a, or a Jonathan Taze or probably Bedard who's never going to play in the tournament again, you promise best just to go with a bunch of assistants and, and not throw that heap of pressure on one player to look like he's got a, you know, pattern. It, it almost looks like he's patting everybody in the shin. He's like, uh, the speech is everything. It's like, and he's forgot he's got to play as well. And it's not that he's played poorly, but I, I, I he's a better player than he's shown. And I just think that is a unique pressure he's done somebody that's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike, I... I, so I, I do want to focus on a lot of positives with you today, but I will say that th- it's been a tough year for Shane Wright, man. Like, I, I, I'm not no I'm not watching this tournament going, oh, that was a guy. I, I do wonder if he, being someone where it was a lot of conversations of, hey, it's back-to-back years where it's Shane Wright and then it's Connor Bedard, and that we ever even mention those guys in the same breath has impacted him a little bit as well. Like, that he's watching this generational star just dominate and yeah a lot of the nights I'm going is right playing or yeah I, I, I it's not exactly like this has been a tournament where normally the guy that's the captain that's the year older than a lot of the guys you, he really stands out and, and this hasn't been that for him well I prefer to just give Bedard more credit because mm. uh, I don't think Wright has been it's just it's, again I, I still don't consider myself media but I guess I, I am a bit that I because I always wondered when we were when I was like running an NHL draft, and it was so big that you had to name it the Stamkos sweepstakes, or, or uh, you know, you know who's the McDavid, whatever the whatever the, 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 the like the fight for right. It was like they just had to pick somebody and make it into us. Like, they're, they're not the players. Like Lafreniere and, and Wright were never the players that Connor McDavid were going to be or Austin Matthews were going to be. It was more of a a media-driven superstar. And it doesn't mean they're not going to be good NHL players, but they're not going to be the elite of the league. Connor Bedard is a special dog. This is a this is must-see TV at every level. 
and uh, I, I was talking to Nick Kiprios. You know, he's small. He's not small. If you meet him, he's got those uh, Aquaman ass and legs, like like a hockey player should have, like Sidney Crosby, like that low center of gravity that you you can't move him. And and what today's game, I mean, if you're willing to if you're willing to have that kind of skill, where you can beat somebody off the rush, you can make somebody look exceptionally stupid when he wheels back. When he wheeled back in that overtime, it was here goes it was like what Connor does when he goes back and gets you and he says. Okay, I'm going to make everybody at least like a video game character here as I weave through you and make you look stupid. He has that ability, but he also goes to the net, as Connor will do, and get his nose dirty. And none of that's going to change when they take the bubble off because the kids playing an advisor in the Western Hockey League are doing the exact same thing. So sometimes with college players, you wonder when you know when that thing comes off, does anything change about their power game or you know? And I'm never I always make a big deal about Nyes and. Uh, in Minnesota, uh, because I love the way he plays the Leaf pick, but I don't know what it's going to be like. You, you, it's going to take some time to figure out what it's like when the bubble comes off, and it's just an interesting facet about the game. But again, I prefer it to be I, it, because they won, and it's awesome. And I hope, uh, I hope. But as we do, it's it's it, everybody. It's just a different feel. It's not going to change my mind how happy I want Canada win, or it's a great feel for their families. But again, I feel it's more. It's almost there's more film of the parents in the crowd than mm-hmm. than the game at sometimes, and that's changed too. So I hope they go out win another gold medal for Canada. But as far as the quality of the play, I think it just shows just how the game of hockey has changed a lot. And it doesn't mean it's not as fun to watch; it's entertaining, but it has turned into more of a skill show, a skill show and momentum show. Like I thought that I, I might have repeated myself, but I thought watching that game a little bit last night coach's nightmare at a, at a certain point because you know it's getting away on it. It reminded me of the St. Louis-Toronto game. It was like, uh, this they could this could end up 10-9. Okay? Uh, and until one goalie just put a cog in it and said, no, I ain't gonna, it's not going to be that way. It was just back and forth mistakes. You know, pucks slipping through goaltenders. Odd man rushes here, odd man rushes there. And I mean, you guys saw the look. I mean, obviously the Canada coach was pretty happy last night, but uh, did you see Sheldon Keith the other night after the St. Louis? That was a little bit look a little more ticked off. Sheldon Keith watching them play. Uh, you know, let's trade, let's swap chances back and forth here, and uh, made the last shot win. So again, skill versus skill. But I tell you, it's a game of mistakes, and then whether it be the National Hockey League, uh, if you want to win a Stanley Cup or you want to win a gold medal, it's a team that makes the fewest mistakes, and you got to have a little bit of luck, whether it's post or not. And you hope that it doesn't come down to a friggin' review. At some point, which it always seems to do now, whether, oh, that was an amazing goal, but did you see his foot was offside three and a half minutes ago? So pull it back. Some of these things are hard to watch for a, like, a person that just loves the game as you did. The same thing in Hockey Canada, the passion that goes into it. You know, some of these little tweaky little, uh, these little uh, reviews and rules that can change the flow of a game are a little bit annoying to watch. Yeah. Mike, I, I think that you can both be excited about some of the talent on this roster, some of the breakouts they've had, that they won the game, but also, yes, be critical and have questions about uh, the game itself. And this is something I've been talking about for a little while now. It's sort of been a theme of the show. I had Pronger on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I had Pronger on Tuesday's show. And I asked him about it. Like, what does he think about the game right now? Because to me... If if hockey is just going to be a skill sport, I, I don't think it's going to be all that popular. It's, it's going to attract a certain crowd. Some people just love the skill-on-skill stuff, and that's great. And 
I think that there's been sort of an extreme overcorrection by some people where that's all they want to see because there have been moments in the league where there hasn't been a lot of it. But he made the point of what do what gets fans in the 300s out of their seats? It's a big hit, it's a fight, and it's a goal. And if you're going to try to just have a league where it's mostly just one of those things and you start to diminish even the value of the goal where there's just games where they're, yeah, like the St. Louis-Toronto one, I, I don't think that your product is as good. I just don't. Oh, I, so, I agree with you 100%. But, this, but that, you don't think that that gets a little bit into the you – you go to sports to get away from real life. Is that a fair analysis? Like it's your – it's your fandom. It's your passion. It's your heart and soul, right? And yeah, it's it's hard for me now because it has become my real life. <laughs> it's no, become, I know, but I, I don't yeah, it's, it, as far yeah. as you're, you're it, 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 and that's great. Yes, yes, yes. The, every person, talk, but yes. I mean, as far as when you're sitting in that seat, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. For that whatever two and a half hours, you're 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 a fan. Okay, so yeah. now, real life, okay, real life. What's one of the best rivalries in in, in that world? Juniors, Canada versus Russia. Okay, well, real life is taking Russia out of the tournament. Okay. Alex, Alex, a veteran about to chase Gretzky. What's what are we talking about? Real life, you know. This guy's got a picture of Putin on Facebook or whatever. So, real life has changed the way hockey's played, in my opinion. I mean, I used to sit there and be able to recruit kids out of the, the U.S. and college, saying that every time a rule changed in the National Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, the Canadian Hockey League would change. So you're you could sell a kid. You're playing 82 games or whatever. You're uh, you know. There's fighting, there's no cages, there's, you know, the, the rules all change. But for safety purposes, and rightfully so, you know, it, it, like, it had to change. Now it's like whatever, if you get an, I don't know the exact rule, but I mean, I think in the Canadian unfair hockey or something, there was a rule put in that if you have three fights, you know, you get sent to your room for a month or something like that. It's, there's, there's just certain things about the way the game was played that you can't sell that to a kid now. You can still sell it. It's one of the best, you know, best league in the world, great coaching. You know, like, but you can't sell them that the junior hockey game mirrors the National Hockey League because it doesn't even come close to it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the style that you're expecting, but now you're seeing these kids that some kids that would have been developed through some of those rules being what they were would come into the NHL maybe with a couple more dust ups under their belt, or you know they finished a lot more checks. Whereas the junior hockey is for health purposes and safety purposes has changed so dramatically. You're seeing that game change at the National Hockey League level. And I don't, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not the best sport in the world, but I mean, if you, I, I like to see big hits, right? I, I like to see a big hit where it doesn't mean everybody on the ice immediately goes and has to drop their gloves and jump the guy because he threw a good shoulder. But it seems dramatically changed. And again, it's, it's real life affecting the, you know, real life and safety issues affecting the quality of the sport so it does again doesn't change how much i love watch playing it but if you have yeah. if i have my choice perfect example for me is brendan Shanahan. okay brendan Shanahan is one of my favorite players of all time okay of all time the way he played he could beat you up he could score he'd go to the net he did it all and there's not a player that the toronto maple leafs have drafted in the year that comes close to the kind of player and maybe they're not out there but uh like the whole team, there's not a play. like that is exactly when you go out. What did the Leafs need? They need somebody like Brendan Shanahan. And I mean, obviously, they're not. There's not a lot of them. We could probably count them on our hands. But mm-hmm. is that player not being developed anymore? Anywhere that uh, quote unquote player that, doesn't exist? Where is Darcy so. Well, I uh, guess so because you probably would be suspended for the life by the time you got out of junior yeah. because of all <laughs> how hard these guys played and how physical yeah. they played to become pros. Because if they didn't take, if they took any other route by the way these guys worked, whether it be 
Clark or Kip or Kiprio. Kiprio. I love watching how these guys, and most of them were all 40. I think Kipper scored 50 goals in Sudbury or something like that. This, they, got, they had to play that way just to get to the National Hockey League. And now I guess it's fine. You can still your way into the league, even if you're a bottom six guy. But mm-hmm. it's the guys that accept some roles and start doing the hard things like the shot blocking and all these things that, that you know, that aren't fun that make the games and make playoffs. So, like, what's incredible in a playoff game when you see a guy just drop and he eats one and then he gets up again and then he's going to go to the bench and he drops and eats another one. Like, that's hockey. That's, that's, that's what makes it fun and that's what makes it, that's what makes it exciting. So, I completely hopefully agree. we can, hopefully we can get a little bit more of a blend. Um, and that's not me wanting the rules changes or wanting line brawls or blah, blah, blah. They, Okay, that's moved. We've moved way past that, but you can still have that physical element to the game. And getting back to the World Junior side of it, I, again, I, that game for me didn't. It changed dramatically when they screwed the U.S. out of the goal. But that game for me, tempo-wise, <clears throat> changed when Fantilli ran over the guy in the corner, and I think it was Beck just Devis just smoked the guy in front of the Canada bench, and he could feel. He could just feel the energy in the building come back, and then of course. Bedard was Bedard. Yep. Hey, um, now you're making me feel like winning that game was bad for Ken hockey because that is sort of what happens. Is usually, but here's the thing. Normally the corrections, there's an overcorrection, right? And I think that's what we are seeing in hockey right now where Canada is just becoming a pure skill country like everyone else. And you mentioned it. You go look at the, the leaders in NHL scoring right now and there's two guys and they're both on the Oilers that are in the top 15. You got to, and it's well, it's Crosby in the top twenty right now, and and Marner. Well, like and Mitch, it. Mitch, is, Mitch is, yeah, Mitch, yeah. Mitch is pushing the. And Mitch will be there before it's over. For sure, he's, outstand, he's outstanding. But I mean, for sure, I'm they just have tons of great general, players. No, yeah, they have tons of great players. No, 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 you're right. But what what is leveling the playing field a little bit here against the Slovakias is that if you want to get into a skills competition and trade chances, you are more likely to lose to a team that has a little bit lesser talent. And with Canada, you're right. So many things that were calling cards of the country have been physical play and intensity. And I think you used the word intangibles that they've had, that there's like a different level of passion to care. But that, to me, is translated through attention to detail, which shows up in physical play and some toughness and some willingness to just battle and do different things. And you do that. a little it's, bit it's of... Bingo. Yeah. Those countries, when we used to play those, I mean, any of those international events, if you were not, like you knew you were going to you were gonna have, you know, the Russias, like Sweden... You know, Finland started to come on in the States, right? Those were the teams that had a little bit of, they had a bit of the, what, you know, they had had their summits and say, we got to be, play a little bit more Canadian here. But when you were playing the, the, the countries that just couldn't match up with you, you just go out and run them out of the billet. And then yeah. you would never have a situation because it's just a natural thing. I mean, they may have a couple guys that'll end up being National Hockey League players that can, that can handle that kind of heat and that kind of physicality. But the majority of them don't even want to come out for the second period. See, you don't ever have a chance for a team to come at you and, and kind of dominate you puck procession-wise or analytic-wise in the third period because you've melted them down physically, and they don't want to play against you. And that was that was the Canadian MO. I'm not calling for a summit or anything, but I'd like, I'd like for us to rely a little bit more on our own identity of what made us special and it's our and it's our game than just we're going to go out and we're going to out-tic-tac-toe you there. Like even that, there was a three-on-one, I think, was in the first period where, you know, I, I pictured... I think we hadn't scored yet, I don't think, and I, I'm thinking, okay, hard shot, center drive, score an ugly one, muck it up. And these guys passed it three, four, five times, 
two guys ended up behind the net. We didn't get a shot on net. And I'm like, yeah, I remember the play. I'm like, come on, <laughs> get get an ugly one. Like, get an ugly one here again. But it's like, you know, if every if you want every goal to end up on the ESPN highlight reel, you're probably not going to win the game. You might end up in the year end uh, highlight reel. But I just think every now and then uh, that identity, and I felt they were true to that identity uh, in in turning the game around with the. Again, it made me start to really watch because I haven't seen these guys as much as I would obviously when I was working with the team. But to look at back and look at the way Fantilli plays, now you see why he's really highly thought of, right? Because he has that physical element and he can crash and bang along with having an elite skill set and being an elite skater. But don't get caught up in the Harlem Globetrotter aspect of it, and especially when you're wearing a Canadian jersey because you can bring that, but bring the other element that makes us us. Yeah, but I'm, I think that what we will see is that overcorrection change at some point. Because I, I think that you're even seeing it now where and, – and I know that you love Nyes. And, and I'm not saying Nyes is a big, tough guy, but he's a player that play, – he's, he's a power forward. And what are you seeing right now? The Leafs are saying he's untouchable essentially in an all-in, must-win season for them. And, and I really do believe part of that is because they go – we don't have like a guy like this, and maybe if we insert this, this might have an added effect than just another um, Engvall type, where there's no Ooh, finishing. That's right? a great analogy. That's a great and, analogy. And and that's and that's what may that's what's going to make those guys more valuable. And eventually, I think what the overcorrection will be is they're going to go, oh wait, actually, there's there's more ways than one to do this. And all of a sudden, a guy who comes in who's a genuine power forward or who's a defenseman who can... You're going to always have to skate now. Like, there's no, there's not going to be any more just plotters who can use their sticks. Like, the errors of the, you know, hatchers are done. They're not, they're not having that anymore. But there are going to be defensemen who decide, like, oh, actually, if I play a little bit more physical and then this is... It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to correct itself. It, I think it really will. Um, okay. To get, I would to say, get to, I have to say... I have to say your point, though, is... Yeah. And I've told you how much I like knives. This is... And I think he's going to bring that element. And I think he, I don't know whether the fight, forget the fighting, but as far as in finishing checks, his ability to shoot the puck, he's an elite skater. Yeah, he's I know he's not Shannon. However, however, this team right now with the Leafs, there is a finite window and you never know what's going to happen. You never know. I mean, I think Austin Matthews is coming back, blah, 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 blah. I love, but you never know when the wrong person's going to get hurt. I look at it today when you've got a team like this, especially with the lack of playoff success. So if you could tell me, uh, no, there's no way that Nye is going to come into the lineup and bring immediately what, quote unquote, I'm just going to throw, what a, a Horvat or a Ryan O'Reilly or a or a uh, Josh Anderson or a a person that's already doing what you need or what you want Nye to become down the road. If you have a chance to add that piece to this current team, I think it is worth it because this team needs that. This team needs to get over this hump, and they're that good that I think uh, uh, a grown-up uh, version of Nye's what he's going to be that's already proven and can help this yeah. team win now. Uh, I would consider putting him in the deal, and I mean mm. because if if you're ho- if you're hosting a Stanley Cup parade uh, in Toronto, and five years from now Nye's is playing really well somewhere else, he'll be fine. You'll be okay. They'll give you yeah. something to talk about, but you'll be okay. I I'd love to see uh, I'd love to see the Leafs keep them. I, I just think like they've they've so needed I, more waves of younger so guys coming up and giving them cheap contract. You know, like that's been one of the issues of this team. I think is 
yeah, they've had star players, and yes, they. I think that they're too one-dimensional, and they've gotten hurt with that in in the playoffs. And you know, I, I sorry to keep harping on the same person, but I, I've brought this up now on two different shows in the last couple of days. But I think there's a reason why Engvall can score, you know, around 20 goals in a regular season, but has zero goals in 17 playoff games. Right? Like, I I, I think that. There are clear flaws with this team. They definitely need guys like that. I don't know how much uh, that they can tinker with it. I'd love to see them keep nice. The only thing that has been interesting to me, I guess, from his standpoint, is it feels like there's been conversations about keeping spots open for him this year to make sure that he's got a spot on the roster. And I go, okay, that's great. But, yeah, uh, it seems a lot that in an all-in year, one of the priorities would be, hey, make sure that you can show this guy that there is a path to the NHL. I do. I want one more thought, though, on... Um, this junior tournament, uh, just in from from you, because I, I do want to talk to you about the least. I want a, a quick one at least too. But so you've talked about Bedard and what a superstar he is, and how incredible this is. And man, you're a guy who has I, I don't know if we're going to compare the amount of junior hockey you've watched to everybody else in this country. It's like yeah, you're in the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. You've also been in front offices. You're like a scout. You've seen all this stuff. Has he actually boosted his stock with this tournament? Where? there's like a name brand value add that front offices are now going to start to feel pressure and, and there are going to be different conversations about, yeah, having ways to tank or guys that they're going to have to remove off their roster or I just, it, it really does feel now like th- there at least should be that. Um, that's a good point. I mean, it, it, well, first of all, I, I don't think it's, it's, I mean, I don't know how you improve this. I mean, I guess you're right. I guess improve the stock. You just kind of said to the whole world that, didn't get to see him in Seattle or just get to see highlights at night. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this is must see TV. This is this is the same stuff that I had to, you know, that I would go into Erie and watch Connor McDavid do and go, Wow. Like, oh wow. Like this is different. This is not this is an elite of the elite. And you saw it with like Austin Matthews it was just like you watched him score goals with the US program and you were like, Oh my God, and then when he was in college, you can see that. But this is a dynamic uh, yeah, but I mean, when you go to so what? First of all, Vancouver. If Vancouver decided to tank. They'd probably go on a ten-game winning streak, like the way things have been going with the, the their season, and they're, they're arguing and bickering internally and out and on the outside. But yeah, I mean, there's probably only right now, whether than them, like the Montreal Canadiens are playing with house money. Um, they're playing a very exciting brand, but nobody really expected a huge jump from them this year. And they can stay true to their plans. There's a team that I would see just just thinking, you know, put ourselves in a situation to win that lottery, whatever. I don't have the odd stuff in front of me. And Arizona, that would be unfortunate, but they're probably going to put themselves in that kind of position. And there's a couple other be teams. Allowed. They shouldn't be allowed. I, Anaheim, no, I know. Arizona, and, and San Jose, like there, I said, you're not allowed. <laughs> if that lottery ball I, pops up with one of those three teams, I – yeah, like I, uh, I'm I not sure. I don't say whether it's. I wouldn't say that with Anaheim, but uh, the other ones I kind of agree with. I mean, Anaheim. I mean, they won a Stanley Cup with Brian Burke. I mean, for years sure. that team we we went we went toe to toe. Like when everybody complains about the Leafs and Tampa Bay and Boston, well, let me tell you, I lived in California. Sure. And San Jose, Anaheim, and us, we had to, somebody was getting beat out early, and it was never ever fun. It just happened that San Jose, they never they they got through a round, they lost in the final. 
but it, you always knew that your your future was going through one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Absolutely, so. Mike. But you know how many times we saw your teams before the playoffs? Never. Like, we never <laughs> saw you guys. We learned about who you were every oh, single time. Stanley Cup playoffs roll around. We go, oh, these two teams really hate each other. Okay. Hey, they played before. Well, huh? like that. bring a little West Coast bias to this. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. This is the only three teams in the National Hockey League are Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. Oh, so, good ones. And, and now going real quick for your uh, yes, I would want I would I would try and strategically position myself to give myself the best shot at a guy that's going to turn your entire franchise, your entire marketing program around. Yes, I would. Um, I wouldn't make it as obvious as some people want. I mean, I think Sidney Zero said that Tampa, uh, Vancouver should trade their top five players by the end of the week. I would that's do a little it. bit much. Yeah. I would do. It. I'm, I'm with Sid. That's I'm why you would with Sid are not in management theory. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe we should be because guess what? If Vancouver started losing all those games, like if I'm a Canucks fan, every single win, like I, I know they've lost three in a row. I, I, these are huge, huge losses. Where I'm thrilled about it. I lived it the Matthews year and the McDavid year as a Leaf fan, where every single loss you were just doing fist pumps and saying. And then yes. I would want. I would want to see the look on your face on draft ball drop day as you're sitting there with your Vancouver Canucks uniform oh. on and. And the ball drops, and you get to pick third. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is <laughs> like also kind of fun. Sid, I'd like to see your kids react uh, as you're running yeah. that team. Uh, the only other point <laughs> I want to make about the Leafs here is uh-huh. uh, because it takes you got. I mean, again, and this is a, this is the Leaf fandom that I've learned to live with in my last years being back is that you want to give up stuff that you don't. Like I used to have friends call and say, "Hey, what do you, would you guys take? Uh, um, like uh, whatever." Uh, Angval for Doughty, you know, like those kind of things, because they just don't want to give up and they get anything. Now, when we won the cup before we, when we felt we were ready to go on our run, we had to trade Braden Shen and Wayne Simmons and a second round pick to get Mike Richards. Okay. Those were the two pieces we did, but there was three, three pieces at the time was Kyle Clifford, Shenner and Simmer were our, those were our piece de resistance. Don't play. Nobody touches those, right? Those those are our future. And Philadelphia wouldn't back off. We wanted we knew exactly what we were getting in Mike Richards at the Captain Canada, Mr. Playoff. But we had to give up two things that we didn't even want to dream about giving up. And I mean, we we could could have gone the other way, but we had two Stanley Cups that we never could have won. I mean, maybe we would have won them with Shenner and Simmer, but we won them with Mike Richards because of who Mike Richards is and what he was as a player. So you have to give up something really that you don't want to part with if the piece that you know it's proven, it's time-tested, it's warrior-like, and it's going to give you the best chance to win the Cup, you really got to consider it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also love remembering Mike Richards because he's just weirdly one of those forgotten players that had this run where, yeah, I just... Yeah, he's still one of my favorite players ever. And well, me too. And I mean, obviously, I mean, things didn't end well, but I mean, that no. was for me the highlight. The highlight of our ten-year anniversary was watching Mike Richards walk down the because nobody kind of seen nobody had seen him, nobody had heard from him. I mean, I had a couple phone call conversations just picking his brain about stuff about getting back in because that's a guy that deserves to get back in the game of hockey and go out on his own terms yeah. uh, because he his his flaw in his the reason he had to leave the game was due to an addiction to a painkiller, right? Because of how hard he played, not the guy that was a, a problem with the law and stuff like that. And he made some bad mistakes down the stretch, 
But if I was going to the trenches, going to war, I would want Mike Richards on my side. They throw the term Captain Canada around a lot. He was uh, it. He was it. Yeah, we he had conversations it. like you can't give Sidney Crosby Captain Canada because it still does have to be Mike Richards. Those That was That's real. Long. That really happened, and yeah, and I and I stand by it at the time. Like I really do, still stand by it. Last one. Um, so there's now some trickling of Bunting is talking contract. It's early. Blah 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 blah. I don't think the Leafs pay him until the end of the year. But if it's you, what's the what's the contract look like? What what do you accept if you're the Leafs? I, I first of all, the kids. It's a great story. I mean, I like Arizona. I like to put up like when you're rebuilding and if. if if guys like Bunting and even to a certain extent Timmons can't play in your team, I gotta wonder what the heck you're thinking. I mean, there's the young guys that are clearly valuable. Um, but yeah, it's why Bunting Bedard can't go is... there, Mike. <laughs> now that, I didn't disagree with you there. Yeah. I disagree with you in Anaheim. Uh, I say, I you know what? I, I I'd have to look at the numbers. I mean, he's gonna he's a kid's probably gonna score 25 goals. He's proven. I still think he's in, in an ideal world, he's your dream third line winger, but he's proved he can play with the top guys. I mean, he's not as responsible as Hyman defensively, but he brings an element that you love. Um, I still wish that I would deduct money from his salary every time he snaps his head back when nobody touches him because that is going to piss off referees to another level. And, and he plays so hard, but when referees, they go back and just like players go look at back at game tape, they referees go look at the game tape. So if you snap your head back when nothing happened, and you score in the power play, you made that referee look bad, and you're going to eat it down the road. And hopefully it's not in a playoff game because uh, you just don't want to make refs look bad. That being said, I love everything he brings to the table. He goes to the tough areas, and he's going to get paid. I mean, how much – I mean, I don't know. Like, sometimes you look at – I hate to say it. You look at family situations. I mean, I, I don't know whether his family has money, comes from money. If this is the first time he's ever going to pay it, it's like – it's like Jack Campbell, like, and Jack's having obviously a dismal year. But if you put yourself in a situation for the first time in your career that you're finally going to get paid, you get paid. Now, how much of a hometown discount do you want? That depends on his family situation. But uh, I know one thing that the PA does not—they they frown upon players that earn a certain amount and then all of a sudden take a lot less, um, because there's a certain value in what that player brings. So, I don't know. Was he three five? Maybe I don't know. It depends. I'm okay with that. No, three five. Yeah, I mean, that's probably. I, just, I mean, maybe, guy more, maybe you have to squeeze. But the more he scores, it's again every one he puts in the net. Yeah, it, the price is probably going to change. But I think the kid loves where he's at. But again, you don't know. I guarantee you, and rightfully so. When I, I keep looking at, because I think like Mitch has been here forever, and Austin, you know, when you hear 15 million, I tell you, when Mitch Marner comes up, he's not taking a discount, and he shouldn't. Right, so if, as, a, as a play, as well as a player, that's uh, hey, Mitch Marner is a he's going to get every penny that he's worth. But some of these younger, these other guys, when they get, when it's their turn to get paid, it's hard to say, you know, okay, we need you to take a discount because we've got to give the guys that are already living in Disney World more money. So it's it's tough. Get what you're worth. I mean, he plays playing hard, but uh, again. I always, it just drives me crazy. Tripper talks about how many times that he drops down to his, gets hit and drops down to one knee and the ref comes over and looks for blood and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody goes in the power play. Just don't make the refs look bad. You're too good a player for that and it's going to catch and bite in the ass the long run. Well, it you already nip, is because... you got to nip that in the butt, as uh, Austin Matthews said yesterday. That was classic. 
Hey, yeah, it's, again, it's already it's already hurt him because if you look at the penalties he drew last year versus this season, it's pretty clear the refs took a peek at the 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 game notes out of the game well, tape. Uh, Mike, it's always great having you on. Thanks so much for making time, man. We got to do this again soon. Absolute pleasure, bud. Have a great day. See you, pal. Uh, Mike Fuda, again, two-time Stanley Cup winning front office guy. There's so much there that I I really want to kind of go over. I I do. I think Mike's right, and and I know that that can sound like two guys who are wishing about the way things used to be and but no it's true Canada hockey had a different identity and it's not toughness in the fighting I don't know why we even have to keep couching this but yeah just that there was an intensity and an attention to detail on Canada hockey or with Canada hockey that that separated us from other places and I and I saw it last night it's part of the reason why I was so excited and having a blast and it ties in with what I've been saying about the sport in general. I don't think that hockey can just be a skill league. When it comes down to it, the way you always sold it is guys with their teeth knocked out, guys who go through wars in the postseason, guys who play through certain injuries. And yeah, now that we, we've taken this stuff and we've demonized all of it, like, oh, you want someone to have their teeth knocked out. You want someone to have to play through an injury. It's just, yeah, sports are dangerous. They are. We can try to do our best, but as long as you have guys flying around at each other on the ice, like you're going to have injuries. It's never going to be perfect that way. But the sport is, it's awesome. It's a great, great sport. But it, it needs physical play. And it needs that intensity, and it, it can't be about Michigan's. I'm, I'm telling you, it will get so tired so quickly if that's the league or if that's the sport that gets built. And with the Leafs, yeah, the bunting thing I'm going to talk about a lot, obviously, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. Playing in Toronto should matter. And the PA can get mad all they want. Ooh, oh, the PA, those guys can get what they deserve. Well, take it up with the Lightning. And lastly, we have to take a break. When it comes to the trades and the idea of putting Nyes in it, I'm really against trading Nyes. I think that I just want to be able to see a younger Leaf player come up and have a wave behind and be different. And yes, uh, from a cap standpoint, it's extremely useful, especially given his age, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, imagine Hagel with the Leafs this year. A little bit more of an undersized guy, but just go look at what he's doing for Tampa this season. And yeah, that was the price. And that's what you have to pay to get guys like that, and especially on contracts like that. Anyway, uh, quick break, come back, and give some picks for the Saturday night football games. That's next. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. So we've got two games on Saturday. Um, Raiders-Chiefs. Chiefs still playing for seeding, although this is very strange. i got to tell you, I, I'm not placing wagers down until I see exactly what they're doing with this Bills-Buffalo game because some people are saying that they might do random seed generator. Like, press a button, boop, and then we decide who gets the seeds. I, I So, yeah, if I'm a Chiefs fan, 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little nervous about this one. I could yeah, the line being nine and a half might be a little too swollen if they don't actually have something to play for. Okay, either way, the other game we know is actually for something. Titan Jags win and you're in. If the Titans win, Austin is thrilled. He gets to watch more Josh Dobbs. Yes, Josh Dobbs throwing to Nikhil Westbrook something. Or other, I can't never remember that guy's name. It's a combination of just names of receivers that are okay. Anyway, um, Jaguars are clearly the play here. I, I don't know, like the money line. Uh, it, I'd be shocked if they lost this game. This would be a a big time screw up if they lost this. This would actually be two years in a row where we'd see the AFC South with a cataclysmic bumble at the end because if you'll recall, the Colts had this last year in the Carson Wentz game against the Jaguars. So I've got a little bit of antennas up for one of those because this division sucks and we shouldn't just be treating the Jaguars as though they're the Chiefs, that they're automatically going to get this done. But I will say that I am I am trending towards picking the Jags on the money line and throwing that, that money line bet into some parlays, the teasers. But the bet I like, guess where I'm going? I went here before. I'm going back here again because it was super profitable and it was profitable early and it's probably going to continue. I love Evan Engram. He continues to be undervalued. 46 and a half yards on DraftKings right now. Like, I, I don't know what the guy has to do to get that number to go up. I know he's a tight end. He had a bad week last week, but it was against the Texans in a blowout, so they didn't throw to him. But he's got 40 targets over his last four games, including that. So he's just, he's a he's a massive part of the offense. And if you take out the game against the Texans, he's just he's consistently gone over that number. So, yeah, Evan Engram, he's going to roll. In an important game, they're going to go to important players. He's going he's gonna to clip that number. I'm rolling with Evan Engram, my favorite bet, on Saturday night, over 46.5 yards uh, for the tight end. That was Time for Action, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Michael Grange making news. Hopefully he makes more next. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mike Day continues. My friend Michael Grange of Sportsnet, who wrote a piece that, listen, I, I always, I always tell everybody that just read Grange in general. You should maybe even have the Google alerts on. It's it infuriates me when the young guys on my show when I come in and I say, there's a certain amount of people where I say, hey, did you read that last night? And they go, sorry, no. And Grange is one, but yesterday especially so. Guys, you know the the birds are starting to the the Raptors, the organization that has been a vault. Over the last couple of years, nobody could get anything out of them. They didn't know, hey, is Messiah Jerry coming back? Well, you have no idea. You can play in tr- they, they won't say anything. They would say nothing. Nothing emanated from the cone of silence. And yesterday, Grange, you know, getting a little bit, I guess not in the Raptors cone, but still, things around the Raptors cone. Uh, Michael Grange, what's up, buddy? How are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm very well. Um, that Raptors game last night went from being. Yeah, probably one of the most... I had it on side-by-side side with the juniors, and I actually thought of you, and I thought of Blake, and I thought of Will Lou, and how 
it's like being on the most dangerous catch where they get danger pay. Like if you have to miss a fun World <laughs> Junior game against the United States, like you should get extra money for covering a game where the Raptors decide like we can't score a basket for six minutes. So yeah, uh, but the end was fun and then not so much fun. Uh, boy, uh, it feels weird not talking about that comeback, but I'm just going to get right <laughs> into it. Uh, you wrote about, well, actually, no, I want one question. What are you thinking to yourself as you're sitting there watching it over the junior game for the first six minutes? Uh, I was laughing. Like I was like, I just find it, found it to be just the perfect microcosm of this team and the problems this team has. And it just was like, it was like satire or a skit or something like that where, you know, you get, you know, not only one of the NBA's best defensive teams, but the style of defense designed to, to uh, expose what the Raptors are horrible at and it just working and, like, like you know, they, they, should, they start off two of 30. <laughs> you know, the old 15 gets a lot of pub, but then they made a couple of fast break baskets and missed their next 13 shots. So anyway, so I, I was like legitimately like guffawing, like just like rolling with laughter. And then when uh, when they came back, I was sweating bullets because I'm like, okay, well now what do I do? But uh, oh, it all yeah. went good. Oh my god, yeah! Just all of a sudden, it has to become a positive. Where you're like, no, it's great. This team is totally fine. <laughs> this, <laughs> they, <laughs> they should just keep rolling this. Maybe I, you know what I was actually going to be really annoyed by was I, so they have a they have a really crappy schedule down the stretch. And I think that it's the second easiest in the NBA. Do you know that? Like uh, I saw right? something on that, um, and it makes sense because I mean, yeah. in, in, in fairness, right? Like I mean, as we do all of what we're all going to talk about is mm-hmm. their schedule has been extraordinarily challenging through this whole stretch. So you know, at some point, it's got to soften up a little bit. Yeah, and and I would say to that though too that they've had a lot of pretty good breaks in that schedule. Like they played Boston, yeah. right? But Boston was on a back to back. They played Sacramento. Yeah. Bo- Sacramento on a back to back. They played the Suns. The Suns no players. You know, they play the Warriors. The Warriors don't have Steph. So it uh, like it to me, it's actually been a case of sure your schedule has been tough and you have these teams that are that are looming that are the lesser lights of the NBA. But that was what was going to frustrate me about last night was all the people that were going to take this and say, hey, that's a season turnaround kind of comeback. And I went, I just don't think that this season is turnaroundable anymore. <laughs> and to me, the first, yeah, uh, every, what, every minute but the last minute was a good indicator of that. Like, hey, this team is just not it. And it clearly needs changes. And yeah, I, I wish three-point shooting didn't matter as much in the modern NBA. I'm a fan of uh, teams winning in different ways in different sports. But this is the way that it is. And now you've got a team that... Kind of by all accounts, uh, well, not by kind of, they can't shoot. They don't have any depth. Um, they've got a point guard who has been hurt and who there's some little bit of discussion about not maybe being the happiest of campers right now. You've got a coach that you don't like that has had a, a tough season relating to his players. Like, can we can kind of conclusively say that while you know you reported that people are waiting for Toronto to set the market, we don't really know what sellers or who they were going to sell. But can we confidently say now that they are going to be sellers? I don't know. I don't know if we can confidently say that yet. Um, we can definitely say they aren't buyers, right? I think that ship has sailed. Um, you know, we might have talked a little differently about that maybe two to four weeks ago. Um, then I and I think and I think but uh, yeah I would agree they they are going to be selling, um, 
Although I was talking to somebody last night, they were saying maybe maybe we don't do anything and we just end up in the Wembyana Wembyana sweepstakes anyway. But um, but I mean, I think the question is to what degree and how aggressive and timing. Um, you know, and to me, like like a perfect encapsulation of all of this is Gary Trent Jr., who um, you know he's a flawed player, but he's got some tremendous strengths. And he's really good at things that are really valuable and are almost non-existent on this team. And that's shot making and three-point shooting and creating his own shot. Um, but as we all know, he's likely going to opt out of his his player option for this this summer. So he becomes a free agent. And so, you know, what do you do? Like, if, it would be very hard, for example, to trade Gary Trent Jr., and end up with a team, you know, end up end up improving your team this season. I guess it's possible, but I don't see how you trade your best shooter from a team that can't shoot uh, and improve. Um, so you you, but if you don't move on from him, if you're kind of hanging on to some hope of grabbing a play-in spot or you know catching fire against, like we said, this week's schedule, which is kind of what they did last year. Um, and then come summer, you can't retain him, or you have to retain him at you know, a, a kind of a really high rate that kind of sets your whole salary structure off. Um, you know, if you don't retain them, then there's a really good player you've left. Call him an asset. I don't, you know, no one likes to use that term uh, with with no return. Like, you, you know, you set, your, you set yourself back if you can't um, take advantage of that or at, least, or at least gain something in return. And so you kind of, as you work through that problem, it kind of, you know, it just kind of tumbles down from there. So if you're going to, okay, well, we do need to move on from Gary Trent. That likely makes our team worse this year. Okay, well, you know, is it worse enough to finish 11th or 12th, which is where they are now, or bad enough to be? Then, well, that's that's no good, (laughs) right? You've got a historic draft and you're picking ninth. Like, does that really advance your program? Probably not. Okay, well, what's our next step? And then you get into the Fred Van Vliet's and then you get into – you know, and then when you go down that road, it's like, okay, well, you know, what do we do about our two most valuable trade assets without question, which would be OG and, and Pascal, and how far do we want to go down this road? And and I think those are the questions that are being struggled with right now. Um, by the way, the term asset, I've never understood why that's gotten bad. If, if I told you, hey, Grange, you're an asset to the company, are you upset? <laughs> just, it's very, no one's it's, ever said that, though. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes, but just, yeah. It's very strange that that became yeah. in all of the language wars we've had is, is now someone is being called yeah, an I, asset. You're like, that's too far for PC culture. No, I just, I just always thought that was I, I, I don't, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but it's. Yeah, people don't like it, so you yeah, know, sure. Yeah. I, I think we need to stop capitulating to those people. Is is I guess the point I'm trying to make here. Um, so uh, the vibes, the vibes around this team is the the word that I would say is like that's the part of this I wasn't expecting. We were in the preseason and the Raptors couldn't hit a three, and and this was something where you went, all right. Um, this looks like a problem. I don't think Otto Porter Jr., the 28 games I'm expecting him to play because he's always hurt, <laughs> is really going to change the three-point shooting dimension of this team, and maybe there's going to be some growth from Scotty, and maybe this isn't as bad. But no, like the three-point shooting is the three-point shooting, and it's why I would say that regardless of the schedule, like the team is the team. Um, what is your understanding of just kind of how these guys are getting along, and, and specifically Van Vliet and the coach? Um, I really haven't heard much about attention in that direction, to be honest. Um, 
you know, certainly not outwardly. And, and, you know, I think by nature, you know, Fred's a guy who's, you know, he's had some hard coaching in his career, um, going right back to high school and even with his dad or stepdad. And, and so I don't think he's one to kind of buck up against that. I think that the challenge there is, you know, Fred needs, Fred needs to play a lot better. And it really, the fact that he's really struggling the way he has offensively, it kind of undermines his situation as, as a leader. And, you know, and I think he's in a contract year and um, wants to kind of maximize his opportunity to, to create value around himself. And, and, you know, to the extent that, you know, I don't I really know what he would have caused me really upset about. I mean, he's getting the ball, he's getting the opportunities. I think he would probably like to play off the ball less, but I think statistically that's not really the case. I mean, I think he's the number of uh, catch and shoot shots and all those kinds of measures and isolations. Like it actually supports him having more of the offense now than he did a year ago. But, um, but yeah, the short answer, I, I, I'd be, I really haven't heard or or got the sense that there's a, a big problem between uh, Nick and Fred. So you know, maybe you know different. I don't. Um, uh, and then and and you know, and I, and I think as much as on the on the Nick front as well. I mean, I think you know the fact that he's being publicly a little tougher on this group is is being welcomed. <laughs> you know, at the at, at at a lot of levels, and I think there's been a wish that it had happened sooner. Um, that would be my interpretation of all that. I'm not nearly as connected or around the team the way that you are, and so yeah, they, there's just no, uh, there's like, there's, you're not getting any pushback from me. In fact, it probably just diminishes the way that I feel about um, some of the stuff that I have heard from certain people. But yeah, I've I've heard a few whispers about Fred not being happy, and I've heard a few whispers about um, some guys like that. The, that the locker room is not the same as it has been in years past, which makes sense because, you know, they've usually won. <laughs> but that this this year has had a different tone to the way that some of the guys are viewing it. And I, I think you've seen a little bit of that on, on the court, especially. Like, I just – I think that there have been games – was so what was so surprising about last night to me was not that they were struggling offensively. It was that they were just really, like, digging in defensively and really working their asses off despite not being able to hit a shot and that they played with some urgency and I went okay you know that's a nice change of pace but yeah there there have been some moments this season where you're watching and going oof this is like like I, I don't know what to make of some of this stuff are, are we going to say this is an injury are we going to say that this is a statement um, but yeah there have been some real lapses that I'm not used to seeing and those have been tied in with just the way that certain guys have interacted with one another from the eye test I just they, they don't seem like a very happy bunch um, I'll, I'll yeah, just no, put that I, I, th- I think that's fair I mean I think the, you know I think you know I, I think there's tension not far under the surface of almost every team um, and that's why winning is so important, right? And and even when teams win and, and, and are excelling, you know, there's always going to be, you know, some issues. But they get – they're easy to push aside because the project we're all engaged in here is successful. Um, that's not the case here. I totally would uh, acknowledge – or not acknowledge. I mean, I agree that there is – I think the word I used in my call the other day was uh, like an antsiness, like – like there's been some, uh, you know, people aren't happy. I think there, there's some. I don't. I you know I don't even. I'm kind of struggling for the right adjective. But I I mean I just think that 
that when things are going wrong, uh, people want to find a reason. And a lot of, you know, sometimes the reasons the coach, sometimes the reasons other players, sometimes the reasons, you know, like you can only, like ideally everyone would look at themselves and go, I'm the issue. Um, you know, that doesn't always happen. Right. And so I think people do get frustrated. I think that is a, an issue going on. It'd be kind of shocking if there wasn't given the way these guys have fallen short of their own expectations, let alone everyone else's. Um, you know, and there's just, you know, and there's a lot of things under the surface. Like you go through the top six guys in this, so you know, the so-called top six in this rotation, and all, all of them are either heading for a contract or looking for an extension or a year away from free agency. And that's, that's a lot, right? Again, if you're winning, you know, some of these things can take care of themselves. When you're not, like, you know, you know and I know and I'm sure they know, that you know all these kind of rewards, financial rewards that you'd want, aren't going to come if you're a 12th place team or you're getting swept in the first round. And so I think you know that that, that sort of stuff factors in too. I, I'm this is pure speculation, but I, I do wonder if the Fred frustration because you can see it with everybody, right? Like with Scotty, you could see the easy storyline there is, um, hey, people have questioned what the summer looked like for him and that it's translated to some struggles offensively. And, yeah, maybe he prioritized some of the wrong things in terms of what he was working on on the floor, and he hasn't taken that step. He's a competitive guy. It hasn't translated. He's frustrated with himself. Boom. Um, Siakam is in his prime of his career. He wants to win. Um, the team isn't doing that. Boom. Uh, OG Ananobi, same thing. Like, prime of his career, playing better than he ever has. Team wants to win his, uh, you know, place in the team. We've never really been sure. Gary Trent Jr., uh, it's always felt like he was a mercenary, that it was a, a bit of a flip. Like, hey, Norm, this problem's going to come down the line, and at some point they'll figure out with Gary Trent, whatever. Fred's, to me, it, it feels a little bit like, hey, I, I'm not producing right now because I've had to grind myself into the dirt for this team while we've been trying to win. I've been playing all these minutes. We've never figured out a way. And then I want to play a certain way, and now I don't get to play that the way that I particularly want and there's no big bag of money here, and I'm not sure I'm going to be here. And so, the, to me, the, the no-brainer just in terms of what they need to do from a timeline standpoint, what isn't working standpoint, um, salary cap, all these different things, is that they should, pro they should trade Fred if they can get something for him. The question I have now is when you, know, you are a point guard who is starting to miss time, and I was mentioning this to Bobby Marks a couple of weeks ago about how he, or he mentioned kind of offhand that I, that some teams would even be considering Fred opting into that year, which I thought was strange because to me it was always like thought of as just like such a bargain. There was no way that he was going to do it. But yeah, what do you do? You get this like what is your sense about Fred's value if they were to explore a trade with him? Because I, I honestly, I used to feel one way about it, obviously, but now I, I I'm, it's kind of lost on me a little bit. I'm not sure what's fair with him given his current state. Yeah, I think um, you know I've had talked to a couple of different teams about that and and i think uh you know for really good teams i think the value for fred is still pretty high i think um you know they look at the situation in toronto and and the team see a team that has terrible spacing <laughs> you know that uh kind of doesn't do him any favors in terms of of how he would play best um they look at you know, the load he's expected to carry and they go, well, if you put him in a, in, you know, a, a situation with a team that's obviously a lot better and deeper, 
you know, he gets moved down the hierarchy a little bit, his responsibilities a little bit less. And what you're getting is all the great things about Fred, right? Is, is, uh, no fear. You know, we can listen to all his, his attributes. And, you know, I think people would still be very interested in that. Or the flip reverse would be if you put him in a team that's still young and growing and, you know, needing somebody who's been there and done that a little bit. I think he offers a lot there. I mean, I, you know, I think you could get some version of a first round pick for him. Um, and, and, and I think just as I do, like, I, I don't see him as a 32% three point shooter. I mean, I just don't think that's, that's him. I will, for whatever reason, he's in this slump, um, you know, it's, it's extended, but I think if I was trying to convince myself to trade for him and, uh, you know, and, and could see where he would fit, um, I don't think you'd be shying away because he's struggling so badly shooting this year. I think you'd look at what he's been previously in different iterations and go, you know, there's a better chance he's bringing that. And then I think and also like he's kind of low risk, right? Like, I mean, he's, he, you know, if he opts in good, you've got a pretty good player at a pretty good price. If he wants to opt out, you've had, you know, if you do make the move, you got two months, let's say three months and whatever playoff run of seeing what he's really all about, how he fits in your locker room and you got his bird right. So, you know, maybe you have a chance to, you know, extend them at a pretty reasonable rate coming off a tough year. So I think that there's, yeah, I think there would be a market for Fred. I don't think it's as vast as it might be for um, OG and OB or somebody or Gary Trent or whatever, just, but I think that in the right place, I think teams, there's teams that would really, really value him highly. Yeah. I keep trying to think of a way that Dallas could tr- covet him and by throwing Bertans in a deal. I don't know how happy Toronto would be about eating the last couple of years of the Bertans contract, but they wouldn't. Yeah. Just, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly, especially given that he's not the type of player that they're like, although they did sign Hernan Gomez this offseason. Um, yeah. I just, there, there are certain teams where I look at him and say, man, he really would be a perfect playoff performer for them. I just, yeah, I don't know what Toronto is getting back. And to me, the, the big question with the other teams, you're right, is probably not, hey, will the shooting come back? It's just, what, what the medicals say right like what are we going to get back on how healthy this guy is what's your understanding of his back <laughs> uh i have no idea uh no i mean he's he's you know i think the fact that i would be encouraged by the fact that he's not missed lots of time so to me i think it is what they've said roughly right like it's yeah. back spasms and you know and, and you know those come and go and usually you know, it's because of some kind of imbalance here or there and you're kind of favoring things and, you know, with the right kind of, uh, treatment generally, you can get through it. So I, I, I'd be kind of encouraged by that, to be honest. Um, and again, you're not, he's probably wherever he would go. He's not going to be asked to play 41 minutes a night and throw himself all over the floor. So that would probably help. Well, yeah, again, it's, it's funny because, you know, we're talking about him wanting to be more on the ball and every spot that I think about him as, wow, he'd be a perfect fit. It's, it's like they need a guy who can do both, but mostly play off the ball. I go, it'd be great to see him in L.A. with LeBron where he can play off the ball. It'd be great to see him in Dallas where he can play with Luka off the ball with a really good team um, and bring some intensity to those groups. Like, those are the spots that I keep putting down in pen. I also think that you got to move Fred just from the standpoint of, like, this, this stat – hit me in the face. Like, this was a real, holy crap, what? Scotty Barnes, 106th in the NBA in drives per game. 106th. Yeah, and, and nurse, 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, you saw it last night right in the fourth, and he starts to do the whole, like, I'm going to go at this guy, and then I'm going to use my low post game, and you say, oh, that's really nice. That is the most encouraging thing about your game, your ball handling, your ability to get to those spots, your two feet, uh, always the same thing with Scotty Barnes, two feet in the paint, probably going in the basket. And, yeah, I just, I Nurse has talked about, hey, we've got to get him more driving opportunities. I saw him talking about that last night. H- how does that happen? Because that, to me, needs to actually become a real focal point moving forward with the rest of the season. But it is, again, it's at odds with some of the other stuff that you have on the floor. Yeah, well, in theory, like playing with Fred, and let's talk about the best version of, threat, of Fred, Off the ball. should help. Like, I think this yeah. idea of, of, you know, Fred taking a step back as a primary ball handler, and again, this, 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 the numbers don't really bear out. Um, that like I mean I think his his isolations have remained constant like you know you can kind of go through it and his role really hasn't changed um, but um, you know and in theory having Fred off the ball spreading and giving Barnes more opportunities to get as you say two feet into the paint and either distributing or scoring you know it should work and I think that's that it hasn't is a little bit on Scott I mean last night it's a little bit on the coaching staff. I was shocked last night. I knew who wasn't, but um, you know, when you look at the, you know, I think he's been playing center pretty strictly now for six or seven games, whatever it is. And you look at the experience he had against Miles Turner against in, in Indy, where the first half he was kind of a little bit out of sorts. What do I do? This guy's not actually covering me, and so he went into some screening actions, and um, you know, they got some interesting stuff out of that. And then in the second half, he just started attacking. And guess what? It, it was really good. It worked. Um, and then, so you knew you were going to see more of that against the box. I mean, that's how they play. And, and, and the fact that he was so flummoxed for the first half or three quarters of that game. And then the fourth quarter, or the last half of the first quarter, fourth quarter, he scores 19 points and it's all on the attack. It's all off the bounce. It's all going right into uh, Brooke Lopez's, Lopez's chest. And afterwards, you know, we're saying, nurse is saying, well, you know, we need him to be more aggressive to start the game. I go, well, that's, that seems like something that you can encourage in yeah. a timeout, let's say. <laughs> like, that, that, like, that's not like a really high mind. Do you forget he's uh, Nick Nurse? Like, he's the coach. That's why he was up there talking about that. that, that, was, like, that. I find that, I found that to be strange. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, a big emphasis this season, and it's a bit of a balancing act, is you do need to empower Barnes. I think you do need to, you know, work to his strengths. Um, he is a foundational piece, and I think there's a little bit of a, a disconnect or a frustration or a, a balancing act, I guess is the best way to put it, where, you know, you're empowering a guy who maybe through the first couple of months of the season didn't really show he deserved it and uh but if if you don't you know you're you're kind of setting are you setting him back in terms of his development and finding out exactly what he can offer so um but yeah i i i think you know it's it's getting a little more difficult to imagine fred as a long-term fit here which is crazy to say um but you know i think at the same time you know what that 
translates into between now and the trade deadline, I'm not sure. But I, I do think that there's, there is a, a market for him. I think he's a little bit more specific than, say, some of these other players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but in saying that, I think if he leaves, he'll be missed. Um, you know, and again, I'm not saying he is leaving. And wherever he goes, I think he'll smash it out of the park because, you know, that's been his, tra- his track record. So I think, you know, and again, I think if you're in management here, uh, those are really tough decisions to make. And that's why this, this next month or six weeks is going to be so fascinating. I've been incredibly impressed by Gary Trent Jr. I think that he can help a team. Um, I, I would actually, if I was in an NBA front office right now, and you were shopping around and you were thinking about, you know, asset allocation. I'm sorry for using the word. Uh, and what we were going to trade to the Raptors for either of these guys, I, I'd be saying, uh, let's try to buy low on Fred, absolutely, rather than trying to buy high on Gary Trent Jr. for our playoff run. And yeah, if you are looking for the future and a piece, like yeah, I think that Trent is kind of that guy. But no, Fred still to me would be someone you want. And yeah, it just seems the parameters are pretty clear on OG, which is uh, what I think it was Zach Lowe tweeted, that maybe you could get a Donovan Mitchell type haul. And if the Raptors decide that that is going to be the hard pivot and they decide to go hard with, yeah, the full rebuild, that that is a lever that they can pull now. And that's probably a lever they can pull in the future, too. But if they do decide to go in the direction, Grange, I'll close on this one. Nurse's contract is coming up, too. We, we, we can't speculate on it because it's not... Uh, it, like we have no idea what this team looks like, so there's no real buzz. But you know Nick Nurse, man. You've been around him now for years. Do you think that he would re-up with a team that was in a full rebuild like the Raptors? I think he'd want, um, as any coach would want, and I'm not saying this because I've asked Nick this question um, directly, but obviously he's he's got Nick, his contract goes through 23-24, so he's got another year after this. Um, and if and when a direction is set for this team, and let's presume for the moment it, it's kind of tilted more towards a rebuild or a reboot and kind of two steps back, one step forward type deal, um, you know, I think you'd have to extend them in the summer, right? Like you couldn't send them into that situation and, uh, and you know, going into the last year of his deal on a team that's kind of um, not really set up to win and or, or succeed because it's gone young, Um you know, so I think, you know, so the, the, that's why all of these decisions are so interconnected is if you choose this path, then you're probably going to have to end up addressing your coaching situation. You know, would would a guy like Nick Nurse, who's done what he's done in his career, would he sign up for a reboot or a rebuild? I, I, you know, I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean, I think he's, you know, you got to have faith in your management, your organization, that it's not going to be like a three-year project you know where you're going through hell and back but um you know he he loves the market i think he knows the organization is really good but i mean there could be would there be a conversation where it's like listen if you're not in for this you know maybe you got to go go find your next opportunity i mean that's conceivable too um so you know it's uh, again that's why this is all so fascinating because as you kind of keep working through it it's hard to see how one decision wouldn't uh, kind of trigger the next decision and the next. And it gets pretty, you know, it gets pretty, when you line them all up, it gets pretty, you know, daunting when you look at it all at once. Um, you know, but who knows, you know, <laughs> go in and sweep the rest of the homestand and, you know, as you say, plow through a pretty soft schedule and, you know, all of a sudden it gets hard to, it would, you know, tanking would be harder than pushing forward and, who knows what happens with this team, but it's, 
Yeah. It is one of the, the stranger moments that I've kind of seen in this and in, in, in with the franchise in quite some time. Yeah, I just to me it's very clear they they can't stand Pat anymore. They can't roll this dice. There's way too much upside. This is a draft where it's it, like a lot's being made about the one guy and then the second guy, but there's actually a bunch of players behind them. Uh, I think it goes. There's I think it's an eight maybe seven guy draft where there's just well, like uh, real impact. There's definitely six. There's definitely I'm the six last guys. guy to say I'm a draft expert. Yeah, um, I just don't follow that side of it closely enough to really offer a ton of insight. But um, the insights I do have are one is Scoot Henderson. Again, uh, you know, that guy is a plug and play 10 time all-star. I have no doubt of that zero. Um, And he wouldn't be waiting to year five for him to be an all-star. Like he's John Morant with a better jumper and and, play, and a ton of playmaking. Apparently, like and the one 20, thing they asked him to do is like be a better playmaker, and he's like, uh, "How's thirty yeah. percent assist rate?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." Yeah. <laughs> like, and twenty pounds of muscle is what I was going to yeah. say. Like he's yeah. so there, there's, but you know, my reference point is last summer. Um, you know, Canada basketball had that uh, Global Jam event, and uh, Team USA was represented by Baylor. Um, so it's U23. And this kid, Keontae George, was playing for Baylor right out of high school, 18 years old. Like, he wasn't even like a, you know, one of these guys who spent a prep school year or anything like that. And he was the best player in the tournament by a mile. <laughs> you know, and he's six foot four, can shoot it, play make, get to the rim, you know, nice body. Like, you're looking at this guy, and I'm like, I was saying, I've asked many people since, I'm going, there's and right now I think he's projected 10th overall, you know, if you follow this stuff, and I'm like, there's nine yep. players better than that guy. Yep. Wow. That's and, insane. uh, you know, so, so I think, you know, I'll just close with this is, is one thing we can, I can say with a lot of confidence is if, and when the decision is made that they need to, um, you know, that they need to wipe their hands of this season and, and, you know, that, uh, they, I don't think that they're going to be passive about it. I think that they'll, you know, there's no, the failure this year would be finishing 11th out of the, or 10th or 9th or 12th. And instead of drafting, you know, being in a position to draft in the top four, uh, you're drafting 9th, 10th, 11th. And, you know, you haven't managed, I'll say, assets um, wisely in that context or, um, and, and, you know, the failure would be wasting this year in either direction. And I think we can see what direction things are trending in. And just knowing the, knowing the people who are going to be making these decisions, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if they kind of let things happen in a, in a passive way and kind of missed, missed what could be a, really, a real opportunity. Grange, you're the man. Thanks so much for making time today. And, again, really look forward to the rest of your work. Uh, down the stretch here. Quick break. Let's come back. And I talk to Chargers wide receiver and Brampton native Josh Palmer. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buddy, how we doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, man, I I, th- I think you are good, doing good. You guys are in the playoffs. Like the Chargers yeah. are returning. Yeah. Uh, I just saw a video. I don't know if it was like with NFL Canada, but did they fly you up? Did they just say, "Hey, listen, you're you're the Canadian guy now. We're taking you on a trip. You're bringing us down memory lane." 
Uh, yeah, that was with the Chargers. Yeah, that, that was with the Chargers. That wasn't so really he, an NFL Canada thing, but um, the Chargers had the idea of bringing a couple of rookies down to their hometowns, and I was fortunate to be one of them. The features. Yeah, it was, it was cool, man. I was I was watching the video, and like I'm I'm from a pretty small town in Canada, and you know I always make assumptions when I'm when I'm thinking about guys and leaving for their journeys to go down to the states. And then you know you're a Saint Rock Catholic guy, and I know you went there till grade ten. And I'm watching the video, and that high school actually looks amazing. You guys dominated there. Yeah, we did. We had a. I don't think we lost a regular season game. Zero regular season games while you were there, and and I like. Did you play both ways? Uh, only my last year, so my second year there. But um, yeah, we haven't we didn't we haven't lost a game. Well, when I played there, we didn't lose a game, and I think to this day we haven't lost a regular season game. That's that's a pretty decent accomplishment. I, although that's that's always like tough when you have to pass that one down the chain and the the first team that ends up losing it, and just like the pressure that you have to yeah. pass like team to team to team. That's a, that's a cool legacy though, man. So so when did you know you you were going to leave Canada? Like obviously it finishes after your grade ten, but walk walk me a little bit through the process there of how this happened. Uh, it was after it was after uh, my second year and. I did Team Ontario, and I, I played well with Team Ontario. And I think from that point forward, I knew that I was going to end up transferring to a school in the States, and I had a couple options to go to. But St. Thomas came down to the final decision, and it worked out because I had family down there, so I was able to, to live with them for those couple years. So, so what's the approach like then for a Canadian kid? Like you're just you're playing Team Canada, and then there's coaches that start telling you that it it might be bigger. There's there's scouts that are from different schools in the states. Like, is it is a recruitment process? Is it you kind of pushing it in your family? Is it you and your coaches? Like, how how does that come to be? No, it was a family thing. It was my it was my dad, my dad working with um I think a, a scout and um. Yeah, from there we were just able to to meet the right people and get my name out there and try to find a high school to transfer to that would have propelled me into college. So is that so? At that time, already in grade ten, you you have NFL goals, you have NFL aspirations. Then, uh, in grade ten, no, it was just to get to college, to a university, and play football. And probably after my second year in college, I was like, okay, I can really do this thing. Try to put my head down and work. Was there like one moment, one game? No, I was just after my after my sophomore season. I just thought to myself, "Yeah, I could do this." It's just I, I, I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead and figure this out. Well, it's especially interesting, like a case like yours, right? Because like Canada is becoming a pipeline for the NBA. Obviously, for the NHL, it's always been this way. There's always been kind of uh, a path when it comes to Major League Baseball players. Like there, it's just it's always been there. Especially the BC guys. Like there's just there, there's always been a connection to pro sports. With Canada, the stories are always you know just uh, a little bit different. Like and yours, yeah, man. Like you you have kind of become the face of Canadian football players in in that, this country at least like it's you and Claypool that are essentially the two guys the two skill position players uh that are dominating down there and I, I'm always curious listening to guys like you and and yeah kind of getting those stories because the paths are different is there 
Like, are there ways that you think this country can be better? Because you you said it. Like, you went to a dominant high school. You're obviously at a place where, you know, you were killing it and your team was winning a ton of games and you had some family connections that were able to help you. But do you think that there's something, if, if you were kind of helping out, you were looking at Canadian high school football, there would be a, a change you would want to make to try to help encourage more kids to follow a path like yours? Uh. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't really answer that in terms of kids taking taking the similar routes to me because everybody's situation is different. But I do know there's a couple of high schools down there that are, like a couple of prep schools that are trying to um, get exposure for the for the for the guys and play American schools and play across the border and have schools come play in Canada. Um, that I am familiar with, but as of right now, I, I I wouldn't have an answer. I just know that there's a lot of talent out there and however they can expose themselves right now is to just, just keep you in that. And, um, you know, one thing I'm familiar with is in the NFL, at least, um, people will find you. If you're, if you're, if you're balling and you're doing well, people will find you. You just have to keep your head down and keep pushing really. Did you would have played with a Canadian football, right? Yeah. Like when you were playing in high school ball, like, did you play with the CFL ball? Yeah, of course. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, did I play with a CFL ball? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a ball. Yeah, the ball was Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Because I am always cu- kind of curious too about that. Just even little part of it is trying to make that adjustment. I don't know. As, as a receiver, did you find that any different? Uh, not really. You don't really think about it. Yeah, I mean, probably so at first you realize you that yeah. the ball is smaller, but you know you get used to it pretty fast. You really have no choice but to. But you get used to it pretty fast. Yeah, I always just think about that with quarterbacks. Like, we have Nathan Rourke right now up here, a guy that just tore up the CFL. I'm I'm not sure if you ever played with him or you're aware of him. But, yeah, it's like he's going to probably make a transition, get some opportunities with potentially some NFL teams. And, yeah, that's all I can think about is uh, when a Canadian kid is growing up, just having a bit of a disadvantage with a different ball. But also, yeah, I love that we have the different ball. I love that we have the different fields. So, um, you're the you're the Canadian guy. They send you back to your hometown. Is there anything Canadian you try and impose upon your teammates or Americans in general? Uh, no, not really. I just wish they had poutine. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I wish that, like it's kind of a weird thing that it isn't. A, you're not able to get it just about anywhere else. Like that, it is just a truly Canadian thing. Um, so you and the Chargers right now, you're in a groove. You guys have won four in a row, five or six. Um, does something change? Like, the group really does seem to be starting to come together. Like, you even look at your Super Bowl odds and the way that you're being talked about in the national NFL discourse. Like, things really do seem to be changing for you guys. Yeah, I just say we're turning it around. We're getting our guys back. Um, I wouldn't say that we're buying in because I always felt like we were bought in. But it's just everything is coming together. We knew it was going to take time. You know, the team is still young, but... Um, we're finally finding the pieces within ourselves and, and amongst the team and and you know we're still growing but um, we just have to keep this train moving well you're healthy too right your team is starting to get healthy and yeah Keenan Allen's yep. been healthy can, can you kind of speak to what his mentorship has meant to you because yeah every every clip you look at um, there's just like basically non-stop video of you trying to learn from him as a player yeah, you know, Keenan's been been there for me since since the first day. Um, I think it took a while for our our connection to build 
for him to realize how how dedicated I am to the sport. But I think once he once he realized that fairly quickly, he he was able to buy into to my growth and help me become a better player. And you know, another day goes by where I don't talk to Keenan. So I mean, he's been a great mentor for me. And same with Mike Williams and the rest of the the rest of the um, the receiving core. You know, they've all helped me a lot. I was the young guy coming in, and still am the young guy here, learning a lot from them. But you know, Mike and Keenan's mentorship has been big for me. And I'm truly yeah, it's just different with Mike. Yeah, it's just different with Mike because you're watching him, and it's like he makes these like just unbelievably freakish plays, and you go, "Well, like I just what what are you supposed to do with that?" Like Keenan Allen, like the the book on him has always been one of the purest route runners in the NFL. Like it's usually whenever people ask the question, "Hey, who is it?" It's like him or Devonte Adams, right? And I, I I wonder if there's extra stuff like does is how much of that is innate as a receiver? Because like how and how much of that is it you watching him just work on it tirelessly and then try to emulate it? Uh, it's a lot. You know, Keenan's one of the hardest workers I've, I've seen. You know, he, when he comes to work, he, he comes and he goes hard and he goes fast. Um, you know, same with Mike. You know, you watch the catches that Mike makes and, you know, you try your you try your best to, to emulate it or ask him how he how he did it. But, you know, he, he's gifted. And a lot of guys, you can't really explain how they do it, but they just do it. And you try to watch and learn from the both of them and see what works in your game and what doesn't. And hopefully you just become an unstoppable force, which is what I'm yeah, trying to do. Like, yeah, I, I mean, you've had this has been a breakout season for you. You've had a couple hundred yard games. Um, there have been big moments. I don't know if you care as much uh, about fantasy as Austin Eckler does, but yeah, like you're a fantasy relevant player. Like that's a pretty cool thing. Like you're on people's teams, and yeah, uh, I, I think that that's something. Once you start to kind of arrive and be on the map, where people start to like, yeah, want to put you on their team. That's usually a pretty cool thing. Um, so one thing with you guys was in the middle of the year, people were really starting to wonder about like where the direction of the team was at, and especially with just like the analytics stuff. And yeah, Brandon Staley's approach to being aggressive on fourth down, and like you, you mentioned the thing about like buy-in earlier, and and you said your group is always bought in, but. Yeah, do you think that as the season has gone on and you guys have been healthier and you've come together as an offense that you have embraced that side of things a little bit differently? Um maybe, I don't know, I can't really I don't I don't know how 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 the guys feel mentally about um everything that was going on in the in the middle of the season, but you know from from my experience and from what I could just tell by our actions is just that everything is starting to come together. And, you know, once we're getting, once we get our pieces back, you know, everyone forgets that we had, we led the NFL in injuries. Um, you know, once we get our guys back and we're able to fully play out our full potential, you know, things start to come together and the pieces start to work and you start to see the big picture of things. Yeah, you're really starting to see that. Uh, defensively, your team is clicking. Offensively, your team is healthy. And you've got a quarterback who many believe um, is one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, what, what's Justin Herbert like as a guy and as a leader? Because when he was coming into the NFL, I think that was part of the reason why maybe he slipped. And he had the rib injury, obviously, earlier in the season that might have impacted things. But again, so much of your guys' offense looks like it's just him. What, what is he like to be around? He's a competitor. And he loves the game. And all he cares about is football. Um, you know, he's a good guy to be around. He's funny. A lot of you guys may not know that. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, his dedication to the game is unmatched. Bro, but that's like, you know you just gave the Kawhi answer, right? <laughs> Who gave the Kawhi answer? Me? You. Just like that. He's he's funny. He's sneaky funny. That was always the book on Kawhi. It was oh. like, hey, he's quiet, and he doesn't give the media a ton, but all he cares about is basketball, and then he's sneaky funny. Yeah. I do know that you're a big Star Wars guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a big Star Wars guy. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I know. You're massive. Like, I'm looking at your Twitter. It's just like, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I watched uh, Andor. I thought it was pretty good. I Like, I, I fully enjoyed it. I thought that was probably the best thing I've seen since at least the first uh, season of The Mandalorian. You have one that you think is slept on yeah, a little nah, bit? Yeah, it was decent. Nah, uh, I, I don't know, but that one was pretty decent. That was more of a, that was more of a um, PG... PG-16, I would say, type show. Yeah. A lot more killing. Oh, more killing. I don't know what killing. for this podcast, but um, a lot more. <laughs> no, it's appropriate. It's fine. We can talk about cartoon <laughs> killing. Listen, if it's on Disney+, Plus, if it's a Star Wars product, it's appropriate enough for the, the podcast. We can get away with it. I, I promise you. It'll be all right. Hey, Josh, um, thrilled about your success, man. Uh, it's really awesome to watch you. There's so many Canadians and especially GTA natives that are like really proud watching you play. And uh, thanks for coming on today, man. Uh, thank you so much. Take care, buddy. Good luck. <laughs>